Amen. I appreciate that. That's a blessing. Salvation is in Christ Jesus alone. And you just have to give me a minute, uh, Miss Katie. I get nervous around these Texans. Amen. And uh, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 23 this morning, preaching from a familiar passage of Scripture. And I'll say to start with, it's always a privilege to get to be here. I thank uh, your pastor for the invitation and for the opportunity to come and to preach this week. I'm excited and I've been looking forward to this. Our church back home is praying and uh, appreciate that and uh, looking forward to what the Lord may do. And uh, that's always what the desire is, uh, is that you come in and preach and the church is helped. That's what you want as a preacher. And I certainly appreciate this church and the kindness you've shown me and my wife through the years. And good to see, here, here's the blessings. Good to see the same faces year after year, uh, just staying by the stuff. And we've gone through some things the last two years. Uh, in fact, uh, I guess in March will be two years we've been dealing with some of these different things that have come up on the horizon. You know, things happen that you have no control over and you have to navigate as you go. And uh, figure out what to do. And I found out early on that there's uh, some of the brethren think they always know exactly what you've got to do. But the truth of the matter is, every church has a different scenario, a different situation. And the best thing to do is just to, to think through some things and ask the Lord for guidance. I mean, it does say, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And so uh, I acknowledge to him that I don't know what to do. <laughs> and that's a comforting thing to do because he always does. And so the Lord's been very good to us. We've, it's been uh, interesting to see. Um, we've had more, uh, our church has got more people in it now than we've ever had. Over the last year, I guess there's probably six, seven new families uh, that have been coming uh, regularly. And I don't always get excited about a visitor. And I, I hope you understand what I mean when I say this. They come Sunday mornings and checks you out. That's great. Glad you came. We'll send you a card. Hope to see you again. But when they come back Sunday night and Wednesday night, that's encouraging because those kind of folks are right. You know, off the bat are hunting for something more than just uh, a Sunday morning. I mean, you know, that's the truth. So we're excited about that. Lord's been good to us and uh, we're just pressing on doing what we need to do. And um, I still like getting together. I like assembling ourselves together. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, let's all stand and honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Luke chapter 23. <clears throat> let's begin reading in verse 33. <clears throat> the scripture says this. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary. And that, let me just say that... Uh, the King James Bible retains the word Calvary. The new Bibles from Egypt say Golgotha or something else, place of a skull. And they take, this is the only place in your text, in your New Testament, where Calvary is mentioned. So, I mean, I think that's important. And uh, because I do believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. And uh, if they're going to update the Bibles, we've got to update our hymn book. I, you know, how many of you would want to sing at Skull this morning? But I'd rather sing at Calvary, amen. So he says, they come to this place called Calvary, and there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So you know the scene and the scenario. Our Lord Jesus Christ is being crucified for our sins. 
There's a purpose for why he is dying. He's dying to suffer in our stead and to pay our debt. And, of course, this has been revealed in the New Testament, but uh, the crowd that is gathered there are bloodthirsty, and they're wanting to see a man die. And Jesus Christ is suffering on that middle cross, and there's a man on the right and left, two criminals, malefactors, that were crucified. Drop down to verse 39. The Bible records a great conversation that day here in Luke's account. Verse 39, here's what was said. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, this is a great, by the way, I'm not going to preach on this specifically this morning, but it's a great example of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Now, some of our brethren would, would fuss with me after service about that. No, it's more than that, brother, I'll top. It's more than a change of mind. Well, it will produce more than a change of mind. But that's where it initially starts. Listen, a man behaves by what he's thinking. His behavior is controlled by what's going on in his mind. So that mind's got to get changed first before the behavior will follow. And you say, how do you know this man repented? Because in the other accounts in Mark, they're both railing on Jesus Christ. But one of these thieves, thieves changed his mind. And he repented. And you say, what did he do? He went from deriding the Lord to defending him. And he says, we indeed justly. Boy, I I like to read this sometimes just to refresh my spirit. To find somebody that would be willing to say, I'm guilty and I'm getting what I deserve. You don't find that much anymore. He says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord... Remember me, not if, but when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now I love this conversion story, and I'm not really going to preach directly on salvation this morning, but you can't help but bring it up in such a, such a clear passage as this. What I love about this story is how it brings everything into such simple terms. Because salvation has been muddied up. The idea about what salvation is has been muddied up through the years. This right here will bury every religious system in the world. This man cannot join the church. This man cannot be baptized. He didn't get baptized. This man doesn't have a gospel tract to read the prayer on the back of. And I'm not against uh, tracts with prayers. I'm just giving you some examples here. He doesn't, he's lived his life against God's law. He's not going to turn over a new leaf and keep the Ten Commandments. He's broken all of them. And he's dying. He has no money to give. He can't make, he cannot make restitution to anyone he's harmed. And Mary is at the foot of the cross and he does not consult her for anything. You say, what happens, preacher? He admits his guilt honestly and openly. 
And then he appeals to the Savior in faith. And when he does that, Jesus Christ immediately said, Verily, truly, today, you're going to be with me. And we're going to paradise. Salvation is by grace through faith. Faith in who? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This man, we're going to see uh, some about his faith at the end of this message, but that is the, that, I love this story because it makes it so simple. Oftentimes, when I've dealt with someone, I've taken them to this passage because it makes it so simple. But I want to preach to you, uh, some of you probably remember a radio personality by the name of Paul Harvey. My dad used to listen to him on a little AM radio all the time at 12 o'clock. And I always liked listening to him because he, he caused you to hang on every word. Because there was these long pauses. And he would all, what was his motto? Now for the rest of the story. And he usually had the rest of the story too. So I'd like to slow down a little bit as we look at this passage today and talk about the rest of the story. Some things going on in this passage maybe that will encourage you that maybe we haven't thought about before. Let's pray. Father, would you help me this morning to help these people? Lord, it is a privilege to stand with an open Bible again and to stand behind the pulpit. Lord, I pray you'd use me today. Without you, I can do nothing. Father, I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal unless you would use me today for your honor and glory. I desire to do that. I desire to bring you honor and glory and to tell these people the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. I pray you'd speak to hearts and I pray you'd help us this morning. We ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to talk about the rest of the story. Some things going on in this passage that maybe you have not considered before that may help you. And I love the fact of how simple salvation is. How it's not a process. It is instantaneous. It happens the moment a man repents and puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to take it farther than that and I want to look at some things and consider this story this morning uh, because there are oftentimes things lying underneath the surface of Scripture. That's what I love about our Bible. Our Bible is is got many layers. It's kind of like an onion. You can just keep peeling the layers off of it. And I love the simplicity of it. You can glean the simplicity right off the top of many of these stories in the Bible. But when you begin to dig in deeper, it leads you to other places, other wells of water that will help you and refresh you. And so I want you to see some things today about this dying thief. I mean, here's a man that gets saved in the 11th hour of his life. And old J.C. Ryle said God placed one conversion uh, like this, a deathbed conversion in the Bible. Only one so that men would not despair. But only one so that men would not presume. And I think this, I believe this, that many times I've heard people say, well, when I can live it, I'm going to get saved and I will one day. I'm going to do it one day. Can I just tell you this? Uh, It is not up to us to determine or to set the time of our salvation. And I'm not, you say, well, are you saying you can't just get saved at any time? I'm not going to get into the argument about that. But the moment a man starts saying, hey, I'm going to get saved, but I'm going to wait until I got some other things to do. That means you're dictating to God the terms and the time. It doesn't work that way. And the truth of the matter is, many times you get down to the end, it's like you've ignored God all your life. Now, I'm not saying he won't save a man. He does right here. This man had ignored God. But boy, he wised up and began to fear the Lord right before he went off into eternity. I appreciate a man that will begin to think about eternity. You know what our problem is in America? We don't think.
through. We don't think the end of a thing. And many times people will spend more time figuring out what used car they're going to buy than they do about what happens when I pass through death's door. And can I tell you something? This man wised up before he died because when you die, that's the only time you only get to die once. You might have a bad business deal, be able to do it again. Uh, for, for lack of a better illustration, you might have a bad marriage and have a second one that is successful. I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying it's possible. In other words, you can do over a lot of things in life. You can try to hit it again. But death is not something you do over. you got to get that one right the first time. And right here, this man began to fear the Lord. But I wonder where he got this uh, knowledge, this wisdom to fear the Lord. So number one, I want to think about this thief's parents. The parents of this man. Now, the Bible doesn't say anything directly about them. But I know in verse 40, when he begins to fear the Lord, he had obviously some kind of understanding about God and about death and about judgment to come. Do you know what puts the sting in death for people? Is the fact that they know that on the other side of that door called death, my conscience tells me that I'm going to have to give an account of my life and I'm afraid to do that. That should strike fear in people's hearts. I witnessed to a man recently who told me, he said, Look, I lay down every night. If I die in my sleep, I die. I've lived a full life. I'm not afraid of death. I said, You don't need Jesus Christ just because you're afraid of death. Most people, some people, are too ignorant to be fearful of death. But he says, I'm not afraid. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But where did this thief learn how to fear God? Who taught this old convict about God in this area? And undoubtedly, I cannot help but think about his parents. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, you know the passage, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. I've heard people argue about that passage. Uh, well, you know, I trained my kids in church and I did this and I did that. And boy, they're off in the world and I don't know what happened. Is that promise not true? Well, I don't have all of the answers, but I will say this. We usually overlook the fact that it says when he is old. In other words, it might take some time. Hey, can I give you just a little piece of advice this morning? Our crowd in this these kind of churches... Uh, we're known for the kids getting to the age of 18 or 19 and then hitting out of church and heading down the road. Now, you say, what is that? That's a carnal children and what happens? I'll tell you what happens. If you teach your children that Christianity is a performance, are you getting me? It is not a performance. It's a relationship to a person. Now, I tell my son, you know what I tell him before he goes out? Sometimes he'll say, Dad, my buddy wants to come by the house and we were going to go to Sonic and maybe get some uh, food to clog our arteries or whatever. And he wants to go out and have a good time. And you know what I started telling him as he walks out the door? Don't not, hey, don't forget your daddy's a pastor, a preacher. Hey, don't forget, you know, don't do this, this, this and give a big long set of rules. You know what I started telling him when he walks out? I said, hey, son, remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Then you can do, as long as you remember that, you can do whatever you want to do. Are you following me? In other words, I told him one day, I said, son, this thing called Christianity is not a performance to be uh, dramatized in front of people who are watching. It is a relationship. It's a real thing. You got to train your children that it's not a bunch of rules. It's not a bunch of regulations and laws. Now you say, well, are you saying lawlessness? No, I'm not saying that. 
I am saying that there's liberty in law, but I'm telling you that if they get a hold of who Christ is and what he's done, that will keep them within the boundaries many times. That's how you train them up, in my opinion, from what the scripture shows me, that's how you do this thing. Now, you know something that's a blessing, you mamas may think this. I know, turn if you will over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And many times in our legalistic thinking, if you will, and I use that term loosely, we, we have it all figured out. We think we know how God is going to balance the books at the end of the day. But the truth of the matter is, he keeps a whole different set of books a different way than we could ever imagine. I was telling Brother Hooch yesterday, I, I read a good sermon on the flight here, and uh, the fellow was talking about this very subject. He said, if you're keeping an accounting of how you think you're going to be rewarded someday, he said, just throw your, your book away. Don't pay any attention to what you're doing. Just serve and live for the glory of God. Let him settle the accounts and and bring forth the books how he... Because what we often think is people think, man, I'd love to be a preacher and then I'd have all these rewards someday. Oh, if I was just a missionary, then I would, I would be able to do something for God. But I'm here to tell you that everybody that's saved can do something for the Lord. And mamas and grandmothers, listen, you have a great hand in raising soldiers for the army of the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 5, Paul is writing to this young pastor. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfainted faith that is in thee. Unfainted means it's not fake. It's not, it's not pretend. It's not a performance. It's real. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Look at this. Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that, that unfeigned faith. In thee also. Now you know what the Bible says later in this same book? He told Paul, or Paul told Timothy, excuse me. He says, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now if I understand the Bible right, Paul was the one that brought Timothy to faith in Christ. If I understand it right. But yet the Bible says he was learning the scriptures from the time he was a child And he said, you've got that same kind of faith that your grandmother and your mother have. Now, what's that tell me? You know who's going to get rewarded in in heaven? He says, Paul led Timothy to Christ. Yes, but God's going to take it farther back than that. And he's going to say, look at grandma and look at mom, what they put down in Timothy. Yeah, Paul was there to catch the fruit when it fell off the tree. But nevertheless, this grandmother and this faithful mother that taught the scriptures to young Timothy, that's the ones, amen, that really I used greatly to bring Timothy, my servant, to faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, keep sowing the seed, by the way. Because you don't know when the harvest is going to come in and you don't know how it's affecting people. What am I talking about? I want you to think about the fact that this thief at the last hour of his life is fearing God and knew how to pray. Who taught him that? Oh, I wouldn't doubt, but behind there I can see as I look into the Bible some faithful parents of this old boy that taught him some things and their hearts were probably broken by the path that he chose. But nevertheless, at the end of the day, all of that, God drew that up out of the well of his memory. 
And when he did, he was able to fear God and take a course of action of faith that prepared him for what he was about to enter into. I remember one time, and Brother John Yalls would appreciate this, we were preaching over at North Point Prison and uh, had a young man come forward. And I always like it when they come forward and, and they're not interested in anybody. Come, they're just doing business with God. I remember one time this fellow was down there and he was weeping and you could hear him over the singing. We were singing, pass me not, oh gentle Savior. And this man was down and I could see the tears hitting the concrete floor and I could hear him praying over top of that singing. Pretty soon some guy got up down and ran down there to pray with him and he pushed the guy away because he was, he was already hooked up. He was already praying. He didn't need anybody to come and guide him. He, he, was, he was doing business with the Lord. I was privileged to baptize that man a couple of months later there in the prison chapel. The chaplain had that uh, baptistry filled up, you know, and, and they rolled it in there. It was a big tub of water. And uh, I asked him before he got baptized, I said, would you like to say anything? And man, he had tattoos around his neck and up behind his ear. Just, uh, just, a, just a troublemaker, just an old sinner that had gotten saved. And he stood there and with tears running down his cheeks in front of 50 other convicts. He said, you know what? He said, I got saved. And he says, I went and I made a phone call and I talked to my mother. He said, the first one I wanted to tell Brother Alltop was my mom because she's prayed for me all these years. And he said, I'd go to church with her and play around just to make her happy. But he said, something different happened. He goes, in this chapel two months ago when I went down to the altar and I wanted my mom to know You say, what is that? That mama probably has prayed and wept for that kid for years. And you know what she saw? She saw her prayers give fruit. Now, I don't know if the word ever got back to this thief's parents, but they know now. And I'm just telling you, where did he learn to start fearing God? How did he know to, to pray? Because I think of some parents that helped him. And I think of Lois and Eunice. And those are the people many times that are off the scene. You don't see them. You know, you see a guy like me get behind a pulpit every week. You see those, you think, boy, those people are serving God. Well, I hope they are. But the truth of the matter is, you're serving God every day. And when you spend time praying with your children, when you spend time teaching them the truth out of the Bible, you're putting things down in them that God can reach down and use many, many years later, even when they've wasted their life in sin. This man had wasted his life, but yet it looks like he had some parents that taught him some things that helped him. George Truett told the story of a little boy. Brother Truett wasn't an American. He was from Texas, if I understand right. And uh, he, he said that his mother would be overwhelmed. He could tell when she was overwhelmed. But he said she would, with that apron on, he said she'd leave the kitchen, go out the back door up into the woods. And then she'd come back about an hour later and he said all that tension and stress was gone from mama's face and she would sing when she came back and she seemed to have a fresh touch. So one day George Truett said, I followed her as a little boy. I waited till she started up in the woods and he said, I followed her to wherever she went. And he said, I followed mama all, this, to this, all the way. He said, till she came to this place where there was a large stump and he says, I was hiding behind a tree and George Truett said, I'll never forget hearing my mother pray not knowing I was there. And he said, then I found out the source of her strength. And you know, you say, what is that? That wasn't a performance by Mrs. Truett. That was reality to her. And her son got a handful of that. 
because he went up there and he never forgot that. Of course, we know the great George Truett, what God used him to do. So consider the, the thief's parents. But then let's consider his public profession. Because you've got to consider where he's at and what's going on in order to appreciate this. Consider the setting. This whole crowd is mocking him. The Roman army is, is gambling for his clothing. They've nailed him to a cross. There are people around that are jeering. I mean, the prophecy in Psalm 22 says they shoot out the lip. They're mocking him. People walking past, talking. I preached a message here one time called The Crowd at the Cross. And you go around there and look at all the different personalities and people. There were influential people there. And listen, they're crying out, hey, if you're the Christ, save yourself. Even the thieves, even these criminals were doing that during that morning. But you know what that thief did? He took a public stand. Do you know how much courage that would have taken? He's the only one. The only other people there that would have been, uh, if you will, had a good attitude toward the Lord would have been his mother and John. And they were kind of in the background of that whole deal. But here this man, where he's hearing the jeers and the mocking and is going along with it. All of a sudden he says what he says about himself. We indeed justly. He said this man's done nothing amiss. And then publicly calls on the Lord to remember him. And you say, what is that? Well, can I tell you something? Peer pressure is a real deal. Not just when you're a kid. We just learn how to cover it up when we get older. Peer pressure and, and pressure from our people around us is a real thing. And many times it'll make cowards out of us. There's something about taking a public stand that makes a difference. And right here, this man in the midst of all of this, he says, you know, this guy's not done anything wrong. Are you not afraid to meet God? This man, hey, would you remember me? Did that publicly and didn't mind to do it publicly. He wasn't afraid of the peer pressure. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Can I tell you something? Standing up and giving a testimony, that might be the controversy you have going on in your heart. Do you know, don't, don't ever think that if you really got something to say, don't ever think that that's not going to be used of the Lord in a service. Stand up and say it. Now, if you don't have anything to say and you're trying to figure out something to say, don't stand up and say anything. Please. Amen. That'll, you know, you got these people going, well, they're having testimonies. I mean, I, I can't miss this opportunity. No, please do. If you really have to, if you have to make something up, don't say anything. But if your heart is just overflowing and your heart is pounding and you're saying, ah, I'm not good with words. God, the Holy Ghost might be wanting to use you to get something started. And you don't know what God might be fixing to do with your public testimony. My grandfather was a Baptist preacher in West Virginia. I never met him. Um, he, was, uh, he passed away 10 years before I was even born. But there was, uh, in the providence of God, they had a reel-to-reel, remember them old reel-to-reel tape machines, the big, they got the little wheel and the big wheel and, you know, just all that stuff. And they had set one of those up at the close of one of his revivals. And uh, he preached on the gospel plan of salvation. And they taped that. I found that tape many years later and I had it transferred to CD. So I remember popping that CD in and hearing my grandpa's voice for the first time and hearing him preach through Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. And it was, uh, it was special. 
But he told in that story, in that sermon, of a lady named Mary. Now, I don't know who Mary was, but Mary went to that little country church. And she struggled with assurance of her salvation. And she came to my grandfather and she said, I don't understand. I don't know why I can't get this settled. My heart, I, I don't understand. I don't, I'm not sure I'm saved. And I, I, wanna, I know I've called on him. And I've, I've, you know, all of that stuff that we go through, those, those round and round type deals. And he told her this. He said, Mary... He said, you come to the altar all the time and you come to the altar every night of our revivals. But he said, not one time have you ever stood up and professed him publicly anywhere. And he says, I would encourage you to get in front of the church and tell them what you believe about Jesus Christ. And he said that evening, he goes, that last night of revival, he said, as we were given the invitation He said, I could hear someone. She goes, Mary stepped out in the aisle. And he said, before she ever got to the altar, she was saying, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and then she was happy and so was everybody else. And he said, she's not doubted since then. Now, it might not be uh, that case for you. I don't know. But I'm saying this, there's something about publicly identifying verbally with Jesus Christ. And allowing people to know, here's where I stand. I am not ashamed of it. This thief is not ashamed. He's hanging there in shame for what he did, being executed. And everybody around the cross is all jeering and shooting out the lip and shaking their head and walking on. And the chief priests are saying, you're not the son of God. If you're the son of God, save yourself. And they're all mocking him and deriding him. That is the atmosphere where this man stands and says, I'll not stand against him. In fact, Lord, would you remember me when you come into this kingdom that they don't believe you have? That is pub, That is courage. You know what we need in this day and age? We need some Christians with some courage. The ability to stand up and say, I am not ashamed. I remember <clears throat> had a fellow, he just passed away. You probably have heard of him, Brother Bill Eubanks. He was a unique man. Very unique. But he said this one time. Now I'm not telling you, you've got to do this. I'm just telling you what he did. He was waiting at the gate uh, to get on an airplane. And, you know, Southwest, they do the little songs and kind of make things fun or try to. And uh, this lady comes on and she says, hey, one of the passengers today, you know, has a birthday. And we're going to sing happy birthday. So they sing happy birthday down at the gate, you know, and everybody's cheering in and and she said, does anybody else have a birthday? Well, it just so happened it was Brother Bill's spiritual birthday. And he said, Lord, do you want... So he stands up and he says, yes. He goes, it's my birthday. He said, now I was born, he goes, on such and such date in 1950 or whatever it was, 40s. But he said, I got born again by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus on this day in 1978. And that's called being born again, so it's my spiritual birthday. Looking around the gate, she's like, thank you. Because <laughs> they're not going to sing happy birthday on that one, because that just blew every switch in the dashboard. So he said, nobody sat next to him on the, on the plane. He said, everybody just kept coming out. It's like, where am I going? 
not, the, not him, you know, down the aisle. But he said, one dear lady was coming past and she leaned down and she said, happy birthday, brother. There's always one or two. And when you take a public stand, you know what you'll do? You'll smoke them out. They're in there somewhere. There's a couple there at the gate that believe just exactly what you believe. If the rapture took place, you and they would be gone. Now I'm just telling you, just get some courage and look for those opportunities. Now I'm not, I'm not saying you got to do that. I'm just saying he took some courage. He took some, by some faith. This old boy right here dying on the cross, he didn't care what people thought. He got over that real quick. Took a public stand. Now I appreciate it. Then I want you to notice, and I hope this will help you. This is a profitable exit because of these things. Because of him getting saved and him publicly doing this gives him a profitable exit. Now you say, what do you mean profitable? Well, let me just tell you something. I I preached this wrong for a lot of years, Brother Roger. And I had to say, hey, I didn't quite have that right. That's always a fun day for the preacher. (laughs) To say, well, the Lord has shown me something that what I used to preach, I know why I preached it and God probably honored it. But he just honors ignorance like that sometimes. Here's what I used to always say, and the reason I said it is because I read this. And I never thought it through. We've got to start thinking. Oh, he said this. Well, thank God this boy got saved, grace through faith. Thank the Lord for that. But you know, it's a shame he couldn't go to work for the Lord. So he doesn't get any rewards. He just got saved, that's it. And thank the Lord for that. But you no know rewards because he didn't have time to serve God. And then I was reading in Revelation 14 where it says their works do follow them. So whatever you do for the Lord, for his glory and honor, follows you. Well, you say, well, what, what did he do, brother? All the time? He couldn't do anything. He's nailed to a cross. That public courage that he took in front of everybody was so impressive to God that when Dr. Luke is writing his account, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Doc, slow down right here. I want you to record just a few snippets of that conversation that took place. Matthew, Mark, and John, I know they don't get the privilege, but I'll put it in yours, Luke. This this will fit well in your narrative. Uh, Tell him what he said. Remember how he confessed, you know, make it plain. What he said about himself, what he said about Jesus Christ, and how he he threw himself upon the mercy of God right there at the end. Talk about that. Luke, write that down. Okay. So all of a sudden, this conversation is recorded and preserved forever. Do you know how many hundreds of thousands of people are in heaven because of this man's, listen, five faithful minutes? God looked down and saw that, and he took that man's five faithful minutes, broke it, and scattered it out through the centuries. And center, you know what that old boy's doing? Every day they're saying, hey, where's the thief? Get him up here again. And they're pulling the whooshing because here comes more people that got saved based on reading your account and what was recorded in the Bible about what you said and about what God did for you there on the cross. Are you understanding this? In other words, so many people say, oh, I got started late in life, brother, all top. Start where you're standing. Start there because here's the thing. You don't have to serve God 10, 20, 50 years in order to have him smile upon you and to reward you for a job well done. He could take five faithful minutes of your life and affect the eternities with it. 
This man has a problem. Listen, he has got, there is things coming in for him all the time. I mean, we sing a song. The dying thief rejoice to see. We're writing songs about it. That fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. So he's up there going, man, they're writing songs about me. I'm in one of the hymnals. I'm down there in one of the hymns. And people keep getting saved. And he is just racking up. He wasted his entire life. But not the last five minutes of it he didn't. And God is so gracious. God is so kind to give back all the years that the locusts have eaten. Joel 2.25. And right here, this old boy, he leaves out. But I'll tell you what, he's going to have more rewards than I'll ever have probably. You say, so this thing of, well, too bad he never was able to serve God. He did for five faithful minutes. Because they came soon after this and broke his legs with an iron pipe. And he died a miserable, painful, excruciating death. But he went and was with the Lord in paradise and went home to heaven with him when he led captivity captive. But I'll tell you what, how many have come to Jesus Christ due to this man's courageous and faithful stand publicly. You know, there was a man, I may have, I don't think I've ever told this story, but there was a man in my church, he came to me, he says, I have a friend that I've worked with for over 16 years. He said, I haven't worked with him for many years. He said, I witnessed this, this man many, many times. He's never been saved, he says, and he's dying of cancer. He said, Could, would you go with me to visit him? He goes, he likes bluegrass music. He goes, if you'd bring that guitar, he goes, I think you might be able to, uh, to win his heart a little bit with some of that picking. Then talk to him. I said, I'd be glad to. So we drove about 30 minutes up the road to see this man. We walk into this house. He is uh, on oxygen. He's not looking good. His color's not good. He doesn't have but two or three months to live. There's nothing more they can do. Cancer has done its awful work, and he's just waiting for death to come. And so we sat there and picked some guitar a little bit, talked about uh, the different people we liked in bluegrass music and all of this. And then I sang a couple gospel songs, and we started talking. I said, Tim, Tim was his name. I said, Tim, I said, you know, let's, can we just get honest now? I said, uh, you know, you're not doing well with this cancer. He says, no, no, and he's couldn't breathe. I said, have you thought about what's waiting when you die? Have you ever considered that? The man started to cry and he says, I think about it every day and I'm afraid. And I said, Tim, that's, a, that's great. I said, let me explain. It's great because it means you realize the seriousness about, about what's about to happen. You're going to meet God. I said, do you know how to prepare to meet God? He says, well, I've gone to church all my life. I said, well, I understand. I said, did they ever tell you how to prepare to meet God? So we started talking. And as we went through some of the scriptures, I came to a passage that had the word grace in it. I said, "Uh, do you know what grace means, Tim? He says, you know, I guess I don't. I said, grace means God is just really kind and, and, and wants to be a blessing to you. And he wants to give you what you don't deserve, which is salvation, full and free. He said, that sounds like what I need. I says, we're, we're starting to hit on all cylinders now. And he says, but how do you do it? How do you, how do you know you've been saved? How do, you, how do you get saved? How do you, you tell me to believe. You tell me to receive him, but how? And I turned to this passage. And I went through the passage. I said, look at this dying thief. I said, this man, 
uh, isn't going to church. He hasn't been a church going man because he started that stuff about, well, I've gone to church, but I've never been faithful. And I knew I should have been faithful. I said, well, it's a shame you weren't faithful, but that's not the issue right now. And right here, I said, this man didn't go to church. I said, this man's just, all he's got to do in front of him, sometime this day, he's going to die. And I said, look what he prays. I said, just look at the simplicity of it. He admits his guilt. And he, he sues God for mercy, if you will. He, he, he requests mercy. Lord, remember me. And I said, could you pray something from your heart like that after having explained to him how Christ had died and been buried and risen again? And I, oh, you could just feel the Lord working on him. And I thought, this guy's going to get saved. And I was knelt down there on one knee in front of the couch in his living room. I said, Tim, would you like to receive the Lord right now the way the thief did? Call on him in faith. He said, ah, oh, not today. I'm like, no, not today. Now, I know it's not, and I give him, now, I know it's not what a day may bring forth. You don't have that many days left. And I said, well, I, and so we talked a while and I challenged him that you don't need to put this off any longer. And I asked him if he had any questions. He said, no. And I said, could I come back and see you again? Would that be all right? He said, you're welcome here anytime. Just bring that guitar. I said, all right. So we prayed for him, got ready to leave. And we're about 15 minutes down the road. And my friend's phone begins to ring. And it's that old boy. He was by himself. And I could hear over the phone when he picked up the phone, that man crying, saying, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. And he put the phone over to me and he said, he wants to talk to you. I said, tell me about it. He said, just like that thief, I called on him. And somewhere in the 15 minutes since we had left, the Spirit of God gave him a clear witness in his heart that everything was all right now. And you say, what's the point? You know who won that man to Christ, if you will? You say, it was the Spirit of God. You're exactly right. But you know what two vessels God used? This preacher and that thief. Amen? Because it was his conversion story that led this man. Why am I pointing this out? Because their works do follow them. Do something that will follow you. Say, how did he get saved? Well, I can just tell you this. It was through the power of the Word of God. Because you say, well, where, where was the Word of God here? Well, don't you know? He's hanging on a cross. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That plaque above the Lord's cross is in all four Gospels. That's Bible. Inspired by the Holy Ghost and written by Pilate. (laughs) And he looks up and he sees a king. He's a king. Well, a king's not a king unless he has a kingdom. You talk about faith. He looks and anticipates a resurrection. Because he's, you don't have, you can't be a dead king and have a kingdom. So he says, Lord, because he knew that's who he was. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You say, what had he believed? He had believed what God had revealed to him at that time. Which was, this is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the king of the Jews. And you know what that old boy did? He believed that. And he called upon Jesus Christ based on that truth that he had read above his cross. Say, what is that? That's the power of the word of God. 
That's what that is. And I tell you, don't ever underestimate the power of that book right there. Even one verse. Even one verse. I have a verse on the tailgate of my truck. People say it. One guy told me, he goes, Do you, you, does your church put them scripture magnets on there to try to impress everybody that they're Christians? I said, no, we just know that people don't read their Bible anymore, so I figure I'll give them a little something to read at the red light. I've seen people sitting there, they'll be taking pictures of it. I don't mind. You know, take pictures, post it, make fun of it. I don't even care. That's not the point. There's power in the written word of God. And a man, look at that and get a hold of something. Y'all remember that young lady? I may have mentioned her before. They call her the uh, napalm girl. That Vietnam picture won a, a Pulitzer Prize. A little girl running down a road after a, a village there had been napalmed by the South Vietnamese and the skin has, she's been burnt with that napalm and her skin is hanging off and it's just a horrific picture. You'll see it in books on, about the Vietnam War. You'll see it in documentaries. That little girl was 10 years old. That was in June of 1972. And she had a rough, terrible childhood coming up, not only physically, but all kinds of other things. And when she was a, of college age, she was trying to get an education and they wouldn't allow her because the communists were using her as a propaganda tool. And she one day was hiding for the communists would come and get her out of class to take her and set her before different people and ask questions and the translator would change her answers. She didn't know this at the time, but they were using her as a pawn. She got tired of it, so she knew they were coming to get her that afternoon, so she left and went to a library in Saigon. And she hit herself, and she said, I looked up, and I'm in the religion section. And I thought, I'm not leaving here because they're going to have to come looking for me, and they're not going to find me. So she says, my religion's never done anything for me. She goes, we've practiced whatever the faith was that her parents had taught her. We've prayed to those gods. They've never answered one of my prayers. So she said, I'm going down looking. I'm going to check out somebody else's religion. She said, I see this black book, Holy Bible. And she said, oh, that's the Westerner's book. Well, I'll see what it has to say. So it's a large print New Testament. She takes it down and reads Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that afternoon. And she said, I was angry, but hopeful. Angry that this man, Jesus Christ, claimed to be God and yet was a human being. She says, but the reason I was angry is I thought how presumptuous that is. But she said, I was hopeful because I thought, I hope it's true. And God planted that seed, and within a couple of months, she had met a Christian, and she would have been invited to church, an underground church over there, and went forward and was saved at the age of 19. And she tells all about it in a book called Fire Road. You do well to read it. It's a blessing. Once again, I'm reminded of the power of the Word of God. Don't underestimate what that book says and simple faith in it. That old dying thief, that's some of the things going on there. He gets saved. Why? Because the power of that book. I mean, what an end to a tragedy of a life, but yet what a glorious, victorious ending the man has. Crucified, wakes up in the dungeon that morning, let out to be crucified publicly and humiliated, but within just hours, he's in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ and makes the Bible because of his honest, humble profession and confession publicly that day as he hung on the cross. He humbled himself. And God said, boy, I like that. 
Dr. Luke, I want you to write that conversation down because I'm going to bless people for centuries from now forward. What about you? Do you understand these things today? I hope there was something in there that helped you. Brother Roger, would you come?